independent media is more important than ever. We don't have a corporate network behind us, and we also don't have big green foundation grants. So we really do need you, and we are actively calling in your direct support so that we can continue exploring many of these topics and perspectives, often sidelined by mainstream media. If you're enjoying our show, please make sure you're subscribed and join us on Patreon today, starting at a tip of just $3 at patreon.com slash green dreamer. Every little bit helps and really adds up. And that is the power in community. So thank you so much for however you're able to support our work. Green Dreamer is supported by our listener patrons. To support the show starting at just $2 per month, you can head to greendreamer.com support to learn more. This month, Green Dreamer is also sponsored by my favorite tea brand, Arbor Teas, and I'm so grateful for their support during this time. They source loose leaf and organic certified teas. They use backyard compostable packaging, which they've been doing for the past 10 years, by the way. Their operations run on solar energy, and all of their efforts are offset by carbon fund. I myself only bought tea from Arbor Teas this past year. I love supporting them as a small family-owned business, and I also love gifting it to friends and family to support their well-being. To shop Arbor Teas organic teas, just head to arborteas.com. That's A-R-B-O-R-T-E-A-S dot com. Even if you have a zero emissions vehicle, your road still has a footprint. Some of our research from the University of Washington has shown that one lane of road, one mile long, uses as much energy to build, which is about four terajoules. And that is as much energy as 100 average American households use in a year. What we need to start thinking about is, yeah, we've done green buildings now. So how do you get between two green buildings is probably a green road. And it takes people into this idea that we're taking infrastructure for granted. That was Jerilee Anderson, the president, CEO, and co-founder of Green Roads International, which is a nonprofit organization that advances sustainability education and initiatives for transportation infrastructure. When we talk about green transportation, we often focus on the mode of transport, right? So public transport, walking, biking, more fuel efficient or electric cars, and so on. But as it turns out, the infrastructure itself and the roads underneath that, mind you, we pay for with our taxpayer dollars has a really significant amount of impact. So because we pay for those things, we should probably familiarize ourselves with that process in order for us to even know how we can influence the decisions made by our local governments. So we're going to learn all about that today, how we came to develop such a homogenized and standardized way of building roads across the entire globe, even though that standardized way might not even be the best way to go about this what a gold standard green road might look like and entail, and more. Green Dreamer, if you're ready, take a deep breath and let's dive in. Hey, it's Kamea Shane, and this is Green Dreamer, a podcast exploring our paths to ecological balance, intersectional sustainability, and true abundance and wellness for all. If you haven't already, make sure to hit subscribe, and together, let's learn what it takes to thrive in every sense of the word.
So I went to school at California Polytechnic State University in San Luis Obispo, and I had this dream of building roller coasters. And I found this great job with a company that built roller coasters. So, so I worked there for a while and actually design, did building design. And then I heard about Green Building, which is the lead green building rating system, which is leadership and energy and environmental design through the U.S. Green Building Council. And that was it back in 2006. And I really was excited to learn about it. I actually read the reference guide cover to cover. And then I came back to my work and I said, I am ready to do green building. And they said, well, steel is recyclable and concrete has fly ash in it. And that's about the extent of a civil engineer's job. And so I got a little bit frustrated. I ended up moving up to the Bay Area and I ended up working for a company within the first year of work there. I actually was a construction inspection person at an oil refinery, and I did not like that job at all. Uh, being one of the only females on the job site was definitely the time when I got my boots dirty and alligator skin. So about a year after working there, I was inspired to go back to graduate school and came to the University of Washington, where lo and behold, I had the same conversation with the structural engineering department and said, I'm ready to do green building. And my advisor at the time said, well, we don't really do that here. However, there's somebody downstairs in construction engineering who's doing green roads or something. And so uh, I remember actually talking to my co-founder for green roads uh, for the first time about what green roads was or green and green construction was. And ended up working with him for the last 13 years since 2008 on this thing called Green Roads. So the story of Green Roads is actually the initial concept idea came from a woman named Martina Soderland, who was a graduate student in the Valley program at the University of Washington. She's from Sweden and she found herself in the architecture and urban planning department. And she was originally a lighting and acoustics engineer. And she also wandered her way over into the construction engineering program to get her master's thesis as well. The initial idea of Green Roads itself was unfunded. And it was all of Martina's original work with the idea of if green buildings, why not Green Roads? And so our story is that we took the lead rating system and we put it onto a roadway project to see if it would fit. And lo and behold, it did not work. So we ended up with a team of probably over 100 people, a lot of volunteers from industry, from research partners, graduate students, over 20,000 person hours went into writing this recipe book for what a green road might look like. And then I was inspired personally by a business class in the as part of my PhD program. What I ended up doing was a summer class with the Foster School of Business at the University of Washington. And they had a bunch of graduate students where you had to pitch an idea, get in little groups and say what you might want to do for the case study project at the end of the quarter. And uh, my team was somebody from Navy Construction Battalion and a gynecologist who's starting her own practice and myself. So we wrote the business plan for Green Roads. And at the end of the quarter of all the teams that they were that were there, the Foster School of Business faculty said that Green Roads had the most opportunity to be successful. And so it took me about three days to file the paperwork and then we became a nonprofit. So in the middle of all the development and the tool, we ended up commercializing the rating system, which was developed through research and research contracts with 
all sorts of different state agencies, local governments. We tested and calibrated the tool and then we put it out into the world. And here we are 10 years later, um, kind of celebrating where we are now and looking back and actually developing our third version of the rating system as well. So yeah, super inspiring to hear about how you brought that to life from this from these ideas in your minds. So to help us understand why we should even be thinking of the concept of green roads, what are some of the major environmental health and safety impacts of roads currently that we need to know? A lot of people consider the environmental impacts of cars as the main impact of transportation. But actually building the road is what we are paying for with our public tax dollars. So we own those assets. And so when we think about what the road is made of, where that material comes from, how it's put together, how it interacts with the environment, what it means for our own health and safety in terms of environmental health, as well as driving and traffic safety or using sidewalk safely or riding a bicycle or whatever mode you might choose. So the idea is that there's a lot of practices that we can do today and the technology is currently available to make those roads better for the environment, for people, and usually will save money. What we found with green roads is people who spend the time to think about the roadway facility or, you know, whether it be a street or a highway, a bridge, a rail or a trail, we have seen that if you think about it holistically, it ends up with a better overall, more comprehensive or holistic, more sustainable project at the end of the day. And those are your tax dollars. So a couple of things that roads do, for example, if you think about a taking a drive through um, a national park, one of the things that you can do to make it a more sustainable road is you can actually provide connections for wildlife through bridges. Here in Washington State, we work on a lot of projects that have culverts and making sure those connections are maintained so that fish can swim through them. We have a project, for example, in New Zealand that has done a lot of work with relocating lizards and moving them into a reserve, a nature reserve, while they build a road, and then they put the back. So there's a lot of really interesting construction management practices that are environmentally friendly as well. Um, And we haven't really seen a tool to talk about them effectively and engage with the public to tell that story of what good a road can actually do or how it can be improved to have a lower footprint, lower impact on the environment. When it rains, there's tires, brakes, metals, and other kinds of yucky stuff that washes into a stream or that water supply or a lake and kind of damages the water quality. And it's a non, it's considered a non-point source. So it's really hard to control, but that is actually in our control. So how the road is designed and how it's constructed really matters for the long-term water quality on a particular site. So you'll hear about in cities, for example, green infrastructure, sometimes called natural drainage systems. Turns out mother nature actually works really well. And when it rains and the soil can take up the water, it goes back to where it belongs. But if we pave over all of these surfaces with an impervious material, then we don't get that benefit. So some of the things and the ways we've been doing things in the past, we have been been doing those, but we actually can make some of those improvements the next time we come back to fix that asset or maybe pave over something near your house, maybe fill in a pothole. But the, the scope of green roads really work. We work on larger projects 
we work on stormwater improvements, those kinds of things that are, or mobility improvements. You asked me about health and safety as well. So things like pedestrian safety, bicycle safety, being able to create continuity of those facilities. So sidewalk doesn't stop in the middle of nowhere, Mm -hmm. that you have access that's wide enough for mobility devices and those kinds of things so that people can use the space. In downtown Seattle, for example, if you widen the sidewalk, it turns out if you build it, people will come. And you can see everybody out in the street engaging with the city and engaging with the business environment. And it's a much more vibrant community asset. And that's all because of the public space. And you've created it to become something that's a place people want to be. On the energy conservation side, you can install systems that are more energy efficient. LED lighting is becoming much more common as an example of technologies that can help the system save energy over time, which saves money on operating costs. Similarly, um, different technology systems for smart cities, which are called either smart cities technologies or intelligent transportation systems, another term that you'll hear are these technology systems that are designed to make traffic move better. So it keeps people safer as well as keeping people moving and a little bit more organized. So that's safer for everybody. So in terms of health and safety, you know, not only getting out on your bike and riding around, you have the opportunity to not have to worry about getting hit by a car or a truck or something like that. So Mm. there's a lot of different creative solutions on what that actually looks like and what Green Roads does is helps a team who may be focused only on stormwater management, see the construction picture or choices of recycled materials or what's going into the road. And they all get into this team and talk and have better conversations because of the, the idea of sustainability is something everybody can get behind. Overall, it sounds like a lot of times when we think about how we can improve transportation on an individual basis, we might be thinking of, oh, we should take more public transportation. We should walk more. We should bike more. But there are also these more like larger systemic things that can be done in terms of urban planning and how the roads are designed that can then incentivize certain behaviors from the citizens of that community. That's correct. It is interesting from a, a individual perspective as well as a community perspective, right? So from a, an urban planning perspective, how are you prioritizing which projects get built and where? Uh, so where are you targeting those funds in terms of building in those assets to create a or improve the environment or maybe economic development or improve safety? So there, that's on the government side, that is generally what the perspective is, is how do we make different locations in the community better? And is the road the asset that helps bring people out to do those things? On the individual level, absolutely. Getting outside, enjoying a bike ride, taking the bus, and to minimize the trips that you're taking takes a car off the road. Absolutely. If you look at infrastructure in general, there's a big difference in terms of, I actually talked about this the other day, even if you have a zero emissions vehicle, your road still has a footprint. Some of our research from the University of Washington has shown that one lane of road, one mile long, uses as much energy to build, which is about four terajoules per lane per mile. And that is as much energy as 100 average American households use in a year. Wow. That also has a metric, 253 metric ton carbon footprint. 
So that's per lane per mile. So the question is, how many households do you drive to work or ride to work? I think it's, it's an impressive amount of energy that we're putting into that. And it also costs us money. So when you pay your taxes, all those dollars go to the different agencies that manage those facilities that you experience every day. And so just kind of connecting people to the infrastructure and how it, we can think about it even now, like it's a great example. You know, everybody's on stay at home right now. Sometimes we take for granted getting from A to B. So you'll spend most of your day in an office and then now we're spending most of our days at home. But how you get from A to B is that road and that's all your public asset. And maybe what we need to start thinking about is, yeah, we've done green buildings now. So how do you get between two green buildings is probably a green road. And, and it takes people into this idea that we're taking infrastructure for granted. Mm. It's pretty boring, right? So <laughs> infrastructure is super boring, but it's, it's important really to fun. consider. I don't <laughs> think we talk about it enough. So this is a good yeah. start. If we look outside today, there's pretty much a very standardized type of road. They all look pretty similar in all places around the world. So like, how did that happen? And are most of these roads that we see outside today, are they examples of the not-so-green roads that we talked about earlier? I would say that they're examples of not-so-green roads. <laughs> and there's a lot of ways you could think about how something is not-so-green. So first, if you take, you know, stand in your own shoes and you can ask yourself, can I walk from here to there safely? And if you can, great. That's you. That is above and beyond many places in the world. From a standard road construction the way a road is built actually is sort of like a, a structure. So pavements have a thickness because they are supposed to be sturdy so that you can carry weight on top of them from trucks or from our freight industry or from construction equipment and from cars. And so they do wear down. They're, they're just like a building. You need to take care of them and maintain what you have. So one of the most sustainable things we can do is take care of what we have. There are different ways that we can take care of what we have. So you can actually, roads are 100% recyclable, You can, which may surprise a lot of people. They're made of rocks and uh, some kind of a glue, which is either a cement or an asphalt. And so going in through looking at what you have as an opportunity to reuse that material Another fun fact, we don't know how much waste is generated in construction and we don't know how much water is used in construction. Like there's no baseline for understanding what reduction even looks like. Mm. And that's been 13 years since I've been doing this. Is we still don't have a good idea of what diversion from the landfill looks like. We don't have an understanding of how much water is used. We are getting a little bit better understanding at Green Roads of where that water is being used, which is a first step. However, like I think those from, from a resource management standpoint, those are really concerning things. It's like, where does that material go? What is that material made of? And those are questions that probably when they designed this standard design, which probably was around the time of the highway, interstate highways in, I think, the 70s, where there was a big boom in the U.S., uh, we figured out how to build roads really fast from point A to point B through any environment. We've been doing the same thing with railroads and all of the other types of long linear transportation systems all around the world. But if pavement's kind of a pavement, however you look at it, you can get some special things that go into it to help it be more sturdy. So for example, but for example, an airplane pavement on a runway 
is much thicker than a normal road so that when the plane lands, it hits with an impact. And so that material itself needs to be strong enough to withstand that. So every time a plane lands, it doesn't break apart. So those are the reasons why roads are shaped like they are. Roads are also shaped like, how would I describe it on a podcast? Uh, (laughs) A trapezoid. So they have what's called a crown. Most standard roads, if you think about a flat road, so that the water drains off of the road. And the reason for that is because water makes driving unsafe. And so you get slipping and sliding on a very smooth surface. So it is something that's a safety consideration. So there are very specific reasons and a lot of thought that goes into these design standards that we do have. So there's at least a minimum level of confidence you can have as somebody who's a user of a road. As a human nature, we like to go places. So Roads look all sorts of different ways. Like you can say a path in a mountain is actually a dirt road or something like that. There are a lot of different ways that we look at what the transportation facility looks like. And it really has to do a lot with what it's made of and how much load it's anticipated to take in its lifetime. So there's a lot of different opportunities for expanding the scope or how many different users or types of users can travel in that area. So, for example, if you look in some of the more developing communities in the States, a lot of them don't have sidewalks. It was not in the standard design and roads are really they last a long time. So you're not going to see that sidewalk project be built for 20 years. And that can be really frustrating. Mm. But it's one of those connections that gets you from A to B and it, it gives you that transportation choice to get from place to place. So there's a lot of different ways to look at it. And like you said, this is really pertinent information for us because it's our taxpayer dollars that are going to fund a lot of these projects. And I think most people have accepted infrastructure spending as it is without really asking the question of how those dollars have been spent within that category and whether we have any say over it. So what do you think are people's expectations when the government talks about investing more in infrastructure spending to improve our lives? And how do those expectations line up with the reality of the resulting benefits that we're receiving? I love this question because it's so it's so different on so many levels. So if you are a normal resident of a, a small community, what you care about the most is how many potholes that you hit on the way home. <laughs> The other piece of the equation is if you're taking maybe you have a long commute and you have to take the highway or even down where I live here in Redmond, getting from one side of town to the other in the least time possible, that is what you care about the most, right? So time in traffic, the number of potholes, and maybe how bad all the other drivers are, right? So <laughs> if you're thinking about it from a safety perspective, car crashes are one of the highest rates of, of fatalities. So car insurance is expensive, right? So there's a lot of different considerations. Like the reality of the situation is that we do buy these things with our very own money. And then it's super frustrating when they don't work, right? So if it takes you forever to get to work, or if you're coming back home and it's ruining your car because you're hitting all these bumps on the way, that's super frustrating. And it costs you even more money. So in order for us to facilitate all that stuff, we haven't even had, we don't really have a way to have a conversation about what that road even looks like. It's more of the things that are on the surface of the road, but not necessarily what it's made of, who's building it, how it's being built, and setting some of those standards and expectations for 
an environmentally friendly road. Having the conversation right now with, for us, is kind of working with our board of directors and our volunteers to get them to start asking for their communities to see more green roads in their community. What do you do? You have to you have to actually go to those public meetings and say, this is what I want to see in my community. And that's really hard for people. It takes an extra step for that community engagement. Maybe they got a flyer on their business. The city needs some property to build a road or widen it so that they can put in a bike lane. And it's, it's very challenging for cities to get that even off the ground because sometimes the public really just doesn't like them. So from an infrastructure standpoint, and especially if we start thinking about, I don't want to date, I'll date this podcast a little bit, but with this current outbreak of COVID-19, we have a serious economic problem that we're facing down right now. We don't know what that's going to look like, but the most traditional way that economies recover is by investing in infrastructure. And I think one of the most exciting parts of this horrible crisis that we're seeing worldwide is that it literally gives us that one opportunity to change the dynamic of what it is that expectation is going forward. As much as it is horrible to see people getting sick, people staying at home right now are really staying off the roads. And the world has seen an incredible change and a shift in emissions, the idea of remote work and those things have have to become okay now. So I have I have no idea what the, the future will hold for the economy, but the idea of continuing to do business as usual doesn't seem like it's a great fit anymore. So if we're actually buying these new public facilities, if we are going to be creating jobs and investing in infrastructure going forward, why shouldn't we build green transportation projects. It's like a fundamental shift. It's I'm super excited to see what it looks like because I think we really need to start thinking about investing for future generations. There's just no excuse not to do that anymore. What we pay for in transportation, I think the number from 2019 was $139 billion with a B. So that's a huge amount of money. And about 67 to 75% of that is actually pavement and construction materials. We're buying stuff that goes right back into the ground. And if we start thinking about, okay, that's 70, 67 to 75 cents on the dollar is paying for rocks. Maybe we have some conversations about <laughs> where those rocks come from, where they were used. Did you use them, use recycled material? Um, what's the footprint of those roads? How do, we, how do we understand carbon footprint? Are we going to start thinking about changing our grid infrastructure, what about communications and technology and all those things? So like the infrastructure systems have such opportunity for connecting people to place and also for making the planet a better place. So I think it's an interesting, it's really cool opportunity right now um, when we start thinking about targeted investments as well as holistic and sort of big picture planning investments as well, trying to figure out how to it's a, really a paradigm shift in how we do things. So. Right. So obviously there are all sorts of constraints and limitations that we face today when trying to green our transportation system. But what would your idea of a really gold standard green road and green transportation within a city or town look like? And how might they function as a part of the bioregional ecology to actually be restorative rather than setting up this sort of conflict between human interests and wildlife there? 
Mm, okay. So in a city, it would probably be in a much different context. We've done a lot of changes as humans in an urban environment. So it is with some context appropriate or context sensitive design. What that might look like would look a little bit different in more of a rural environment than it would in an urban environment. So in a city, things that we're looking for, and I can actually send you a picture to follow up with this. So yeah, we, we can attach we that. Be, yeah, we, we would love to see starting to think about the environment as the first thing. Many cities and states in the U.S. or federal projects actually have the National Environmental Policy Act, which provides a framework for comprehensive ecological analysis and a comprehensive social analysis. And also a big piece of that is community engagement. So those things are all in green roads. So what is the gold standard of green roads looks like? Those are actually requirements for us, but that is the best place to start. So that sit down, start talking about what your environmental strategy is, understanding what the context is and making sure that what those choices that come out of that and those alternatives are appropriate for where they go. So you'll be thinking about things like wildlife, for sure, if there are any in your, your area that you can consider, uh, different vegetation and landscaping opportunities, the opportunities for what happens when it rains, where does it what where does the water go? I taught a class at the University of Washington for civil engineering probably about 10 years ago now. And that was one of my favorite questions because we as engineers just don't think about the big, big picture question. Like literally, where does the water go is a really hard question for an engineer to ask or for an engineer to answer because we're so tied to these books that have the table and you have this road which has this level of traffic expected and that means you page down finger down the book here and line over to item a 1b and mm -hmm. that is the amount of water that will, shall fall on this road forever and that is how you design it. so it's a very structured and it is for a reason because it has a lot to do with life safety in some cases so but in terms of stormwater systems making sure you ask me what the gold standard would be what if you could imagine a road that breathes and when it rains, it treats the water on site. And so what when it rains on the, the facility, it leaves that area cleaner than when it left, when it rained. So if you have air pollution and it's raining in a city where there's a lot of air pollution, for example, the water may not be that clean. And then when it hits the road, there's all sorts of dirty stuff there. And then it will wash into maybe a bioswale or some sort of retention facility where that water has a, a little bit of time to drain or at least uh, drain into the soil below so it's treated or be temporarily slowed down so it doesn't start eroding downstream or it has some time to settle out those materials that wash into our watershed. So that's a, definitely water sensitive is one of those other highlights. In terms of a more urban environment in, in a city, specifically like a street where you have an opportunity to visit businesses or anything like that needs to be walkable. Bicycling needs to be safe and either taken off the main line or put onto its own path uh, so that those cyclists are protected. There is transit access or accessibility. So it would have multiple options for getting from place to place. There may be parking facilities that are designed for electric vehicles so that charging infrastructure needs to be put in place. And there's all sorts of different opportunities for the types of energy that we're using, 
the pavement itself could be made of recycled materials. Maybe it's a permeable surface, so the water just drains right through to, to the soil below. There's a great story from the city of Bellingham where they used 400 toilets. Mm-hmm. They crushed them up as a concrete aggregate replacement, and they put them into the sidewalk material. So they ended up not putting those toilets into the landfill, and they now have a bike trail that's made of 80 tons of recycled toilets. So it's called Potty Creek. It's a pretty, <laughs> uh, it. pretty, pretty great story. And that was actually our very first certified Green Roads project. And that's something, it's a great example of what you can do for less than a million dollars. So gold standard, not necessarily toilets in every road, but uh, that is just, you know, some sort of innovation or a really cool idea. So a reason to be there and make that connection to the community or an easier place to pass through. So we actually have maybe that recreational side of things or some sort of cultural resource or connection to those community resources. That's another big piece of how you make the public infrastructure sensitive to where it is, is to recognize some of its history as well as to recognize its place in the community so that you stop taking it for granted. So Mm. lots of different ways. I feel like a lot of people, when when we think about infrastructure and roads and highways and our transportation system, they feel semi-permanent. So my question is, how much hope can we have that we're able to change the current not green transportation infrastructure? Or is it more so about ensuring that the new roads that we build can really take all of these things we discussed into consideration? Right. So if we are changing what we have today, that is probably one of the most sustainable things we can do is to take and keep what's there in place. So preservation of what we have is a big step. On the new road side, it absolutely is your opportunity to set the expectations right away, um, whether you're doing a planned development or your city may be preparing for growth and is reconfiguring. So those are a bunch of opportunities. In the U.S., actually, uh, we are not we're not really spending a lot of money on building new facilities. But outside the U.S., over 90. This is from James Cook University in Australia, which has a really cool website called the Global Roadmap. I would strongly recommend if you're interested in seeing how that looks in terms of where the areas are that are sensitive that we wish to preserve in the long run. They have a great tool and they also say on their site that 90 percent of the roads are new roads in the world are being built right now outside of developed countries. So that's incredible because we're still replicating that old business as usual mindset. And it's fascinating to me, but it really is about you know making sure that message of sustainability, that making sure sustainability is top of mind has to change that frame. So really trying to take that conversation to the early planning and development stages before the ground is broken, regardless of whether it's a new reconstruction or a preservation type of project is that just needs to be built into the mindset of the construction industry and the design and engineering industry as a whole. So. so a lot of these decisions around infrastructure can feel very distant from us as individuals. So to wrap up our conversation here before we go into our final five fire rounds, what can we do as active citizens to encourage and even pressure our communities and cities to green our transportation infrastructure? I am very biased, but I think all uh, any any city that says it's green should have at least one certified project for green roads. And trying it out is the first step. So from a local, what you can do personally is 
email your policymakers, show up at a public meeting and, and let them know. If they don't know about it, they won't, won't care and they won't even care to ask. So they could say a lot of things about sustainability and not be doing very much until you keep them accountable for doing that. So that's one one way. And I think that's a very, it's surprising opportunity that is there. You can work with environmental advocacy groups that do talk about that and introduce the idea. I will say one of the biggest challenges we have is convincing people roads can be green in the first place, mm-hmm. but it's not about the cars. So it is about the road itself and that it belongs to us as a community. So I think that's, that's the big piece of it. But those community assets are built with community input. So providing that input wherever you can to the right people in public works or in highway and street development planning at the state level, federal level as well. That's that's probably one of the biggest things you could do is just mention it and say, this is the thing you can do. Can you believe it? <laughs> uh, and see if that challenges the way people think about it. The biggest thing would probably be getting into funding requirements. There are some cities in terms of thinking about putting your money where your mouth is. So if your tax dollars are being spent and making sure that they're being spent in a way that you'd like to see, then getting that engagement is really important. So we have seen a few agencies do uh, things like green bonds, which are creative ways to finance infrastructure projects. You may be seeing a lot more of those now, but where the person who's paying for it isn't asking for a green project, then you won't be getting one. So there's definitely some influence in terms of who is paying for the road, which funding agency. Uh, So for example, the EPA, if they fund stormwater improvement projects, they may only fund a portion of that scope. So an an environmental grant for a road project will normally focus on stormwater, but won't look at the pavement or the material itself. So there's a lot of different, we call it color of money conversations that go into transportation funding. I would love to see big picture, whole reframing of how we pay for infrastructure is a big deal. So I'm interested to see if that comes out of some of the economic development packages that we're probably going to be seeing this year or next year as a result of the virus. But right now, I think that there's a lot of opportunities for just even local community advocacy, talking to people, being interested in it. I had a phone call from somebody from Hawaii who was really interested in getting a bike path in in his community and it was he was having a hard time and so we actually as green roads like our our role as a nonprofit is to start having those conversations and that introduction to the opportunities that that are all over really depends on you know being able to have that initial conversation and just that person on the other end so it needs to have some sort of a local champion to do a lot of these and that inertia starts moving after that when there are more and more of those people who are asking for it. So, but it is totally legitimate expectation. I think you know, there's no reason we have a really super creative community. We have the technology and tools that are available to us now. And so why aren't we doing it? And what, what is it really going to take to get beyond business as usual as it takes people, people to believe in that it can be possible. Strong people working hard every day and night, trying to make the world peaceful. And we won't give up without a fight. We're gonna help those who are in need. Yes, we believe 
What's an uplifting social media account or a publication you follow, or a book that's been really profound for you? My favorite book right now, in the recent past, I read a lot, is Multipliers by Liz Wiseman. What do you tell yourself to stay positive and inspired? Better late than never. <laughs> <laughs> What's one thing you're working on right now for your health? I am a big fan of CrossFit, and I've been trying to get back to the gym. And we have a, I have a home gym that we've set up now since we're remote working. I'm tr- I'd like to get back up to uh, my, my squat goal. So <laughs> working on that. What are you working on right now to elevate your positive impact for our planet? Oh, we're working on Green Rounds version three. It is so exciting. Uh, we have this large volunteer technical advisory council. They're such wonderful people. I'm like, I can't believe that we've had this support. It's so, so humbling. They're all over the world and it, there's everybody's super positive and, and I think it's, it's really exciting. So it's, we're rewriting the code for green roads basically and saying, Hey, this is what the next generation of roads is going to look like. So that does get me up every day. So I'm very excited about it. Super exciting. And what makes you most hopeful for our planet at the moment? I think I uh, really appreciate the international collaboration toward sustainable development goals. I think that is huge in terms of different countries being pointed in the right direction. And there is hope also from many state and local governments as well that do also follow those things too. So I think we're bending the curve a little bit. Beautiful. So Green Dreamer, it's greenroads.org to learn more about Jerilee's nonprofit and jerileeanderson.com to learn more about her. And you can also follow her on Twitter at ecomisfit, M-I-S-F-I-T. And you can also follow them on Facebook at Green Roads. Jerilee, thank you so much for all that you do and all that you inspire in us. We're coming to a close here and I'd love for you to just leave any final words of wisdom you may have for us as Green Dreamers, as well as any ways that we can support your work as well. So I would love for everybody to dream big and know that you can be a catalyst for change in your local community. And all it really takes is a small ask. From Green Roads, uh, the ways we would love to have people involved. If you have an interest in supporting our organization, you can contact us through our website. We have volunteer opportunities as well as our annual, our upcoming anniversary on August 27th. We will be turning 10 years old and we're hoping that we'll be able to have a big gala event and we'd love to have your support. Mm -hmm.